Welcome to The Joy Factor, a podcast dedicated to helping you create a path to joyful living each and every day. We're sharing inspiration from real people combined with practical tools you can use to unleash the playful and joyful spirit already inside you. Now, here's your host, therapist, life coach, and yoga teacher, Julie Hansen. Thanks for joining me today on The Joy Factor. If you've been listening lately, you know that I'm dedicating this month's episodes to raising awareness of intimate partner violence. My niece, Sina Hansen, was the victim of domestic homicide in September of 2009, and I want to honor her memory by reminding people that love will always trump fear and anger. Every day, three women are killed by their current or former male partners. It doesn't have to be that way. We can all take a stand on the side of love and work to help prevent this epidemic from happening in our communities. The second annual Cena Hansen Memorial 5K Walk, Run, Bike will be held on Saturday, October 1st in Decorah, Iowa. All proceeds will benefit the Domestic Violence Resource Center at Helping Services for Northeast Iowa. So if you live in the area and would like to take part, please consider visiting helpingservices.org to register. You can just click on events and you can either register to participate in the 5K or you're welcome to make a donation. There is no donation amount that's too small. Even a dollar will help to provide these very needed services for the Domestic Violence Resource Center. Your support is totally appreciated. Today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Sippel. She is the Clinical Director for Cultural Transformation at the Veterans Administration North Texas Healthcare System. In 2014, Jen trained at the Stanford School of Medicine Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, otherwise known as CARE, and received her certification as a compassion cultivation teacher. I took Jen's eight-week CCT training back in 2014, and it was an amazing experience. And it was funny because on the last day of the training, Jen and I discovered that we were both Luther College alumni. So shout out to Luther. If you're looking for something to do that will have a positive and immediate impact, not only on your own life, but also the world around you, I hope that you'll listen closely as Jen shares her wealth of knowledge on the subject of compassion. All right, Jen Sippel, welcome to the Joy Factor podcast. I'm so glad to have you today. Well, thanks for having me. I'd like to start off by asking you to just tell us a little bit about what led you down the path of studying compassion. Well, a few years ago, I started a new position at VA North Texas Healthcare System, which is like 
pretty much the second largest uh, veterans affairs hospital in the nation. And I took the job of clinical director for cultural transformation. The goal is to create a more patient-centered healthcare system and help uh, healthcare professionals focus on resilience and positivity, building on strengths, and helping veterans create more health and well-being for themselves. And so I was really looking for things that would help people build that. And I pretty quickly stumbled upon the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's called C-Care for short, and it's at Stanford School of Medicine. And it's a group who's just dedicating research and science and developing skills to help people cultivate compassion in their lives. Uh, They have a protocol called Compassion Cultivation Training. And so I applied to their teacher certification program, and that's where it began for me. So I started uh, with their teacher certification program in 2014. A colleague of mine, Amy Anthony, also did that. And we brought that eight-week training program, skills building program, cultivating compassion to VA North Texas healthcare system. And that's really where it started. Wow, that's quite a journey. And I know from participating in the program that you brought to First Unitarian Church of Dallas and just really how powerful that was both for me and for my husband. So really excited to talk to you more about that. How do you define compassion? You know, I would say this is probably not my definition. This definition comes from many contemplative scholars and neuroscientists and psychologists and people who have been practicing and studying compassion for a long time. I would just like to kind of point out that before I started this journey, I kind of, when I thought of compassion, I sort of thought of it as, you know, oh, there's really compassionate people and then not so compassionate people. And maybe if I'm compassionate, maybe I volunteer a lot or things like that. So this definition um, was kind of revealed in the course of, of the training program I was in. And it really, just the definition itself, I think, really kind of helps introduce uh, this quality to, to people. And so what they teach at the C-Care teacher certification program and what we talk about in compassion cultivation training, which you probably remember, is that compassion isn't like an emotion or something simple like that, like being happy or sad or angry or something like that. It's actually more of a process that kind of involves different parts of our humanity. And the first piece of it of these three components is a cognitive piece. It's about awareness and being sort of present moment focused and being able to just be present enough to notice that someone you're with is suffering or notice your own suffering. So there's this mindful awareness foundation for compassion. And then kind of the second component of compassion process is emotional. It's kind of about that empathy, being in tune with someone else's suffering or maybe their joy, just being in tune with others, with what's going on with them, what their experience is. And there's a lot of neuroscience research demonstrating that mammals and humans are really hardwired for this empathic experience. Um, And so then the third component is really an intentional or motivational component. So if we are in tune with someone else's experience, especially that of suffering, there's this wish that the suffering be relieved um, or our own suffering, that wish, that, that sending that wish of loving kindness and wishing 
for happiness and safety and peace and that suffering be relieved in others as well as in ourselves. And so that's kind of where that personal process, that human experience of compassion concludes is this cognitive awareness, mindful present moment focus, this empathic experience, this emotional quality, and then this intentional and motivational part of it about what we wish for others and for ourselves. And then, you know, maybe this process maybe results in an altruistic act that could stem from that place of compassion. But it's kind of also interesting that there are contemplative scholars and scientists who are looking at that definition of compassion and altruism. And especially with altruism, I think a lot of scientists are looking at it as, you know, it's an act that... Uh, you know, is at personal cost to help someone else. Um, but uh, Thupten Jinpa is one of the contemplative scholars uh, at the department, um, uh, the Sea Care Department at Stanford, and he talks about how this personal process of compassion really needs to be part of that that definition of altruism. And when we experience compassion as human beings, we may be in a position or not be in a position to perform an altruistic act. And so um, compassion really is this very human mind-body experience that we're hardwired for. Um, And I guess a last bit about defining compassion is that it's good news. The good news is that um, it's not a quality that a human being either has or doesn't have. It's really something that can be strengthened, can be focused on, kind of like exercising a muscle and building it to be stronger. So I wrote down intentionally waking up to something already inside of us and activating, that activates our, our inherent kind of goodness. And I just know from my experience with your course, I don't know exactly how it happened. There wasn't a day where I thought, oh, I'm more compassionate. But I really just noticed it being integrated into my life. Like I felt that I was more compassionate when I was done with it. So I guess that's really the neuroscience of it all, right? Like my brain was making that happen just by creating the space and then receiving the guidance on how to do that. So incredibly important. Yeah, it's definitely great news that the neuroscience research is showing us is that there are things that we can do to place our attention where we want it to and to sort of be more open to the spectrum of emotional experience, kind of like you said, waking up to our human experience noticing that in others and ourselves. And then again, just kind of cultivating this wish that suffering be relieved, this wish for loving kindness and peace and health and safety for others as well as ourselves. Well, and this might be kind of obvious, but why is cultivating compassion so important? Well, I, you know, I, I think it can be obvious and it can also just be in places that, that we might not imagine. Um, first of all is the program compassion cultivation training that you participated in, um, we taught it to a group of healthcare employees at our VA Medical Center in 2015. And we tried to collect data on kind of before and after and what the impact was of their experience. And we found out that people who participated in the eight-week course and reported doing more of the daily meditations that you were talking about were protected against burnout after the end of the course compared to their classmates who had reported not doing the daily practices as much. So 
you know, there's some evidence suggesting that cultivating compassion using these skill building opportunities, which, you know, compassion cultivation training is just one of them, it can really help us reduce stress and build resilience. And so, in a way, it's not just about, you know, trying to do better for others. It can be something that really creates health and well-being and resilience in ourselves. Will you go back and just briefly describe that course? Sure. So, yeah, Compassion Cultivation Training is an eight-week course that really kind of focuses on laying a foundation for compassion. So the first thing is that, you know, we can't really force compassion or make it happen, but we can certainly build the foundation and cultivate qualities and practices that make it more likely compassion can unfold in our lives. So out of the eight topics, the eight weeks, um, we start off with settling the mind practices, and that's the foundation. Just practicing that present moment focus and being able to kind of choose where to put our attention. So we focus on that for a little bit. And then we focus on tuning into what it feels like when we're directing compassion towards loved ones. And for people in the West, kind of starting with compassion for a loved one is actually a little easier than self-compassion. So we do that first. And then we spend a couple of weeks actually on self-compassion practices. We touch on the work of Kristen Neff. And we really kind of look at that really important piece of compassion, that compassion towards self is really uh, an important piece that we need to include ourselves in that circle of compassion and concern. So by the first half of the course, by four weeks, we kind of build up that uh, resilience and those skills in cultivating compassion for self. And then we start expanding the circle. We start talking about empathy. We start talking about um, creating a sense of common humanity and challenging ourselves to extend compassion where it might be really challenging in our lives. And there are daily practices that go along with each step in each theme throughout the eight-week course. And then at the end of the course, we practice something called active compassion practice. And so it's breathing in suffering, breathing out compassion. And it's um, a skill. It's, It's a meditation practice that can help us feel more embodied in our compassion experience. Okay, so how can how can compassion be implemented um, to prevent and to help people heal from intimate partner violence or really any kind of violence that we might inflict on ourselves or that on other people? Well, I think the first important point is to remember that compassion is not about being passive or just allowing things to happen that shouldn't. Compassion can really be a strong and firm and empowered stance for what is right, um, stemming from compassion for self and others. Um, And another important point is working on self-compassion. So another way to say that is including our own self in the circle of care and concern. And, you know, we know that traumatic experiences can interrupt that ability to be compassionate toward ourselves, whether it's not being able to trust ourselves or trust others or um, feeling shame and things like that. So, There's a researcher and clinician named Paul Gilbert whose work includes compassion-focused therapy, and he's really focused on helping people who've experienced trauma and abuse and struggle with shame and severe self-criticism. And his compassion-focused therapy and his research has addressed 
how to help people regain a more friendly and comforting relationship with themselves uh, so that they can just provide that that friendliness and comfort and warmth for themselves. Other authors and researchers with a lot to offer with regard to self-compassion and overcoming shame are Kristen Neff and Brene Brown. And so there are just, even to just start, just look up maybe some TED Talks or some YouTube Talks by Brene Brown or Kristen Neff. And Kristen Neff has this great book simply called Self-Compassion. Um, so there are a lot of people who've been working on that. And I think healing from trauma is really, there's a lot of progress lately because it's not just about sort of trying not to relive those memories or experiences. This whole self-compassion movement and component of healing from trauma is, is really important and I think becoming a lot more widely available to people who need it. Um, so you mentioned some good books and I like that you mentioned the TED Talks um, as sort of an entry point for folks. Are there other kind of, if you think about maybe the smallest step that someone might be able to take just to begin to cultivate more compassion in their own life, is there anything else that you might want to add to that? I'm really glad that you asked that because, you know, this compassion cultivation training, you know, it's an eight-week course. There are formal seated meditation practices that go along with it. But, you know, that's not always easy to implement, especially when we all have very busy lives and things like that. So there are some small and informal ways that we can uh, create more compassion in our lives. And you might remember some of them that we talk about in the CCT program. Just really simple things like being a little bit more present. Sometimes what's helpful is even just noticing nature. Actually, right now as I talk to you, you know, I'm looking out um, in, beyond my porch and the plants and the trees and the sunlight shining down on them. And it might sound kind of simple, but just sort of allowing ourselves to enter that place of gratitude or even awe, kind of the sense of awe and mystery and the beauty of nature, that can be really helpful. There are other really informal kind of in the moment daily techniques that that we can try. Another one is to send loving kindness wishes kind of anonymously. So, um, so just maybe when you're out driving or if you're passing people at work in the hallway that maybe you don't know them very well, just sending out loving kindness wishes or wishing them well, very simple, can kind of get us to that place of positivity in our heart. And there are a lot of benefits to that. Just trying to focus on that can actually create a lot more health and well-being for ourselves. And there's research to support that. A couple of other informal things is creating a sense of common humanity. And so looking for little things we can do to walk around in the world with sort of less of that us and them feeling and more of that we're all in this together. That person there, yes, we have differences, but they're just like me. Some neuroscience researchers have found that doing something as simple as imagining what kind of vegetables a stranger likes and just kind of imagining their preferences can actually make that person seem more human to you, more just like me. And so doing little exercises like that um, can really sort of help us have more of a feeling of interconnectedness. I appreciate that you that you mentioned the common humanity and the interconnectedness uh, because I think that, you know, that's sort of another issue when it comes to blaming the victim and victim shaming, whether it is sexual assault or domestic violence or anything where there's sort of 
you know, a lot of messages from society that say, well, why didn't you leave? Why did you wear that short skirt? You know, and it seems like that is changing slowly. But I love, you know, just kind of shining a little light on common humanity and really kind of thinking even in interesting ways, like what kind of vegetables might that person like eating? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very simple, but very effective. <laughs> and it, just one more thing that I would add, you know, when you mentioned sort of those anonymous um, blessings and loving kindness wishes, sending those to others, when the course that I took with you ended. I remember Amy, your co-facilitator, gave us each a bead from one of her mother's necklaces. Do you remember that? I do remember that. (laughs) And that, like, I still have that bead hanging from my rearview mirror. Oh, wow. And I do. And I just, it always reminds me. And so I think that whether it's looking at nature and enjoying, just like you said, that mystery and awe, or if it's just you have a little symbol or a token, like something that reminds you to be thankful or to be compassionate. It doesn't take a whole lot to get started. Absolutely. Do you have a joy role model, Jen? (laughs) Well, I'll kind of preface it with one of the things that brings me a lot of joy, and it's not for everyone, is um, kind of astronomy and particle physics and quantum physics and all these kind of um, fascinating topics that are kind of fascinating to me. Um, Like Brian Cox, for instance, he's an astronomer that is kind of more in popular culture or Neil deGrasse Tyson, just kind of their lectures or TED Talks and things like that. And I guess I just like really am inspired by people who are exploring nature and exploring the universe and who just really um, have that sense of awe and mystery. And so one kind of role model I feel like is probably a role model for a lot of people is Albert Einstein. And there's a quote, you might remember we used it in compassion cultivation training, and if it's okay, I'll read it. Um, Please. Albert Einstein is credited with saying, A human being is part of the whole called by us the universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. And wow. <laughs> and so what really I think strikes me about that and and why that sums up for me kind of a joy ro- role model is that it's kind of looking for the simple things in life or anything that is fascinating or creates a sense of gratitude and awe. So I think those are kind of the two things. Gratitude that we're even here. Gratitude that the world can have so much beauty in it. And kind of a sense of mystery and awe about how we don't really know everything. We probably won't be able to know everything. But just this sense of that every person has this kind of universe inside of them and that there is a sense of common humanity that we can create by um, 
sharing the beauty of nature, about imagining just what a miracle every single person is. So I think that's kind of where I get my my role models as people who seek out that sense of mystery and awe and gratitude for our humanity. That's fantastic. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, we can use our imagination to imagine kind of the worst things that could happen and, you know, to worry about things. But I think part of what you're talking about is using your imagination for good and to really kind of let yourself go down that path of awe and mystery and just, you know, the gratitude of over just the fact that we are here and that we exist. Yeah. And that can be in many different forms for many different people. And I think that's part of the philosophy of compassion cultivation training as well is that it's just kind of these skill sets and it can just help anyone from whatever world perspective she or he has can help anyone kind of pay more attention to experiences and parts of life that really create senses of gratitude and awe and mystery. Wonderful. What steals your joy and how do you get it back? I think the biggest thing that steals my joy is kind of where where my mind is wandering. And I do, like a lot of human beings do, half the time human minds wander. There's a great article by Killingsworth in 2010, if your listeners are interested. <laughs> but when, when our human minds wander, we can do great things, we can multitask, we can do all these different things. But what research is showing is that really a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And that's the title of the Killingsworth article. Um, so I notice in my own experience that when I'm ruminating about the past, when I'm really anxious about my future, and when I'm kind of really wrapped up in a headspace of judgment about my current present experience, when my mind is in any of those places, I'm really not that happy. Um, I'm not likely to tell you that I'm happy when those mental things are going on. But when I can really just focus on my present experience, and being that, even if I'm cleaning the kitchen or whatever I'm doing, I'll be more likely to tell you that I'm happy, that I'm content, and that things are okay. So I think that when I think about what is that joy-stealing thing in life, I think it's, it's, it's my own mind. It's about that my attention can kind of wander off. But the good news is that I can practice skills to choose where to put my attention that that is possible. It's not easy. It takes a lot of practice. And, you know, on a, on a great day, I can choose to do it. On a not so great day, it's pretty challenging. But that's what I do about it is I try to rein myself in. I try to notice when I'm wandering to those not so happy places and then remind myself and then choose again to take a moment to notice nature. Or on a really bad day, maybe at the end of the day, I choose to watch some sort of astronomy, you know, documentary, like particle fever or something like that. So um, I think it's just a daily practice. What's a daily practice that you believe contributes to your success? I just think kind of what I've been talking about, which is just creating a sense of gratitude and awe. So I really kind of go in and out of formal daily meditation practices. We just moved and so I got busy and didn't have my spot. And so um, I think that 
it doesn't have to always be that. So when I'm cooking, I just really get into it. I get fascinated. Um, I get interested in trying new things and be really in that moment. So I'm not in that headspace of rumination or anxiety or judgment. Um, and other things, I just, uh, lately I've been trying to get up a little earlier and I actually go sit on my front porch and just watch the sunrise and have a cup of coffee and just, I just feel a lot more grateful um, and happy and joyful when I'm able to just focus on those simple pleasures. Wonderful. Do you have one or two online or entertainment resources that you might recommend to help our listeners support their own joy practices? Yeah, there's one where people can learn about compassion cultivation training and the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. Again, that's a mouthful, but CARE for short. So um, it's ccare.stanford.edu. And that uh, just really can give people a lot of resources in terms of compassion and altruism and the neuroscience and the content contemplative scholars that contribute to that. Um, there's another website that's called uh, greatergood.berkeley.edu and they also have a lot of great resources and articles about compassion cultivation and loving kindness meditation and ways to do that in our lives. There's another website called charterforcompassion.org and that might be interesting for people who maybe have more of a sense of being an activist and kind of wanting to create a community around compassion and joy. Other things that people might look into are just things that kind of create health and well-being for themselves. There's actually, this week's uh, Time magazine has an article about exercise sort of telling us once again just that exercise really can be the most miraculous uh, cure and intervention to create well-being, to reduce pain, to improve mood and things like that. So I think really looking for resources and communities where we can practice pursuing health and well-being can be another way to create more joy in our lives. The Duke Integrative Medicine Program has a great website that talks about that. And I stumbled upon another website recently called my.happify.com and it really just sort of has opportunities to bring small um, happiness and well-being exercises into our lives. So there's a lot of resources. Good. And we'll make sure to list all of those resources on the Joy Factor podcast webpage. I have just really enjoyed talking to you today, Jen. How can our listeners find you? And do you have any special programs coming up that you'd like to mention? I do have an email address. It's bepresent1 at me.com. And I also work at VA North Texas Healthcare System and do most of my work. It's an eight-week course and I can also do a weekend retreat and my colleague I mentioned before, Amy Anthony, also is someone in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who can offer that. And she also teaches a mindfulness skills for everyone course. So those are some things that we have available. Okay. Thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the show today. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope that you'll let me know how the show inspired you. 
Also, if you have any feedback to share, I would really appreciate your honest feedback on iTunes in the form of a rating or a review. And just know that I'm always looking for show ideas. So look me up on thejoyfactorpodcast.com or find me on Facebook at The Joy Factor and just let me know what you think. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Joy Factor. For more information, visit www.thejoyfactorpodcast.com.